0: than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man. So keep up the good work. But it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports Funks, your Chicago. My name's John Zaglou. I'm great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, the Bears have made final cuts. Who made it? Who didn't? We'll explain in just a moment, plus a brand new interview today with Bill Mackey, host of Mackey and Jod and Purple Daily on Score North in Minnesota. We talk with him about the Vikings, Bears football, and so much more. It's a great interview comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John G. Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluo. You can watch more of this show, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews. Head on over to sportstalkchicago.com. want to start today with this. It ain't over till it's over. <laughs> we were fed so many rumors and news bites about Kevin Jenkins. He was immature. He wasn't adjusting to the new coaching. There were issues with Matt Eberflus, Luke Genze, and him. He was continuously hurt. He wasn't practicing. He was being disobedient. We heard everything, every rumor imaginable. We thought at one point a couple of weeks ago he was going to be traded. Then yesterday, we heard it again. Yeah, Tevin Jenkins is on the trade block. Yet as we sit here today, Tevin Jenkins is going to be your starting right guard. That, to me, is the shock of the preseason and training camp. Turns out the Bears have cut Michael Schofield, who they brought in to compete with Jenkins. Signed him to a one-year deal as a free agent. He's cut. It will be Tevin Jenkins at right guard for the Bears this season. Across two preseason games, Jenkins allowed only one pressure on the quarterback. He also showcased his athleticism and power in the run game. Insiders still insisted, which is true, that trade's possible involving Jenkins the Bears and another team I don't even know how to describe this I haven't seen anything like this surrounding the Bears recently even in recent memory I did call for Jenkins to be traded not just because of the rumors whether or not they were true but because he's still a high pick and the Bears probably could have gotten something significant back for him that's the only reason I was okay with it. young guy Second year in football, you could trade him and flip him for something pretty significant that could help you out either today or down the road. Maybe a draft pick, maybe a different offensive lineman, maybe a wide receiver. So I thought, you know what, let's entertain the idea. But I will say, at this point, it's finalized. Kevin Jenkins will be a Bear, and he will start on the offensive line for this team come this season. I don't know why the Bears and Jenkins had so many issues. Even says in this article by Eric Lambert quote nobody knows why the Bears demoted him there were rumors of personality issues he and the offensive line coach Chris Morgan were having problems we don't know why we don't know how this entire saga even began it might have been something stupid it might have been the Bears fault or Jenkins we don't know what we've been fed is that it's a Tevin Jenkins issue yet they kept it. So whatever the issue is it's either been resolved or it's not a big enough issue the result in a trade, or wanting to get rid of him. I tell you, I've never seen anything like this, where he goes from a consensus starter to being demoted to missing practice, then coming back in a brand-new position, competing with somebody else, then winning. Like off trade rumors, and now he's on the team. I've never heard of that. And the twists and turns that we've seen with this story in the past four weeks have been mind-blowing to me. I've never heard of this with anybody, not even an offensive lineman. So I don't know what to make of Kevin Jenkins and his viability on this Bears O-line. What I do know is this. He played pretty well in the preseason. He's a lot to prove. Second year, first full year, no more injuries, no more issues. It's time to perform. Time to prove yourself. And I wish him all the best for his career in general and his time with the Bears. But I don't understand what happened with him and the Bears behind the scenes. I have no clue. I wish I knew. I wish I had inside access to find out. But whatever it is, it seems to be resolved for now. Or at least it's gotten to a point where it's not worth trading him because of it. See, that's the other thing that no one's talking about. Maybe it's been resolved. Maybe it's all about performance. Or maybe... The issue still persists, but it's not severe to a point where the Bears need to get rid of him, where they need to offload him for some reason. I don't know what the problem is, but I do know that he played pretty well, preseason-wise. And to his credit, he did beat out a pretty good competitor. Michael Schofield is a Super Bowl champion, local guy, been around the NFL for 10 years, and I liked the signing in the beginning. Schofield, pretty darn reliable for the most part. Plays 85 9 percent of snaps the past couple of years. Experienced, local guy. I liked it. Thought it would have been a great move for the Bears, and it seemed to be at first. Have a veteran come in, compete with Tubbin Jenkins, make him earn his spot. He is not a Ryan Poles draft pick, and he was hurt, and now there are problems, potentially, with the coaching staff and Poles and Jenkins. Yeah, he's going to have to compete. But the fact is, It's a meritocracy, and Jenkins won, so he's going to start. Again, I would have been okay with the Bears trading him. I would not have been mad. In fact, I would have been pretty happy, because if these problems persisted, you don't want someone like that on your team. Even if it really wasn't Kevin Jenkins' fault, the point is, if he doesn't fit in to your system, to your culture, to your team, even if he's good, trade him. Bring in somebody else who will conform, and in the meantime, get some draft picks back or get something of significance back. I would have been okay with it, but it didn't happen. And my feelings right now about Jenkins are pretty mixed, I'll be honest. I'm not overly thrilled he's back, but I'm also not calling for him to be traded. We're going to have to see how he does down the regular season. But I'll trust the Bears' judgment on this. Matt Eberflus obviously, like what he saw, enough to keep him. Same with Brian Foles. This is their roster. This is who they want starting at right guard. Scouts like Greg Gabriel, Olin Krutz have said it too on this program that he's the best offensive lineman the Bears have. Maybe he is. Time will tell. But I do know that he won the competition. That's all I can say on the matter. He won fair and square. And the Bears did everything they could to prove and to show that maybe he doesn't deserve to be here, and he proved it. Proved them wrong, proved all of us wrong. So I have no issue with that. I have no issue with him staying. He won a fair competition. That's all you could say. He won a fair competition for the job. He beat out a local kid, 10-year veteran, Super Bowl champion, to retain a spot, not even his original spot, a spot on the offensive line. And to me, that is pretty significant. Say what you want about personality or issues behind the scenes. The fact is he got his act together in time and made the team and won the competition. I don't know what issues he has. I don't know what the problem is, but I do know that whatever it was, it's not as prevalent now because he bucked up, manned up, and won the competition. And it may sound pretty simple. Okay, he won a competition, but the fact is he did win it fair and square. He is the best at his position, at least in the Bears' eyes, and that's why they kept him. So we have to trust their judgment for now. I wish Jenkins the best. I want him to succeed. And maybe he will. And this would be a great redemption story on his part. And if he does do well, a stupid look for Matt Eberplus and Ryan Pauls, to be honest. It's going to be a stupid look for them. The fact that they wanted to cut him, wanted to train him, demoted him. So either way, somebody's going to look bad here. <laughs> the end of the year. It's either going to be Jenkins for sucking or the Bears for wanting to cut him when Jenkins succeeds. One of the two. I'm curious to see how it plays out, but I do know this. As of right now, Jenkins is the guy. The Bears believe it. Media and fans to an extent believe it. And now Jenkins gets his shot to really prove himself come this season. So congrats to him and hopefully he stays put. want to shift to this. The narrative surrounding Justin Fields has undergone a pretty big facelift the past couple of days. I don't know if you've seen. A couple of former NFL quarterbacks, guys who know what they're talking about, are all of a sudden praising Justin Fields. Pretty interesting. Kurt Warner said on his YouTube channel, quote, we are seeing the growth from year one to year two. Chicago fans should be excited. Trent Dilper said, quote, he looks efficient. I think he works really hard in the offseason. Tightening things up. It's Just worth noting that everybody's crossing their T's and doubting their eyes, after originally they weren't big fans of Fields. I will say ESPN's still bashing him. And Orlovsky came out again the other day, two days ago, and said, oh, it's not a good situation for Justin Fields. He's going to have a rough year once again, fueling into that narrative. But real quarterbacks who actually have, you know, Super Bowls and credentials see the opposite. I just find it interesting how many people are trying to cover up their tracks before the season kicks off, too. Not during the offseason, not a couple of months ago, but right now, all of a sudden, as we talk about a week before kickoff, everyone's covering up their tracks, covering up their bad opinions about Justin Fields. Now the praise comes in. And we see this for virtually every quarterback in football. There are always going to be people who believe and who don't. Dan Orlomsky, for some reason, does not like Justin Fields. Kurt Warner and Trent Dilper do. Difference of opinion, that's okay. But someone's going to be right. And I'll tell you this much. I don't think Justin Fields is going to throw for 4,000 yards and 50 touchdowns this year. But I do know this. It'll be 10 times better than last year. I'm not expecting seven touchdowns, 11 picks, 11 fumbles, and a 59% completion percentage. I'm just not. It's not going to happen that way again. Things will get better. How much better? I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I do. I have no idea how good it's going to be. It's all going to depend on how good Fields really is, how good the team is around him, and whether or not he has any support whatsoever. All these things will be factors into determining how good he's going to do. But I do know this. It's going to be better. And we should be ready for that. And it's just nice to see some of these national media people kind of come on that train a little bit. We see a lot of hatred from ESPN specifically about Fields, about the Bears, about this team. Look, I get it to an extent, right? You're not fully believing, not fully committed, But at the end of the day, you have to look at the new situation, the new regime, the tape. And the tape does not show that Justin Fields is going to be a bust or is in a horrible situation or won't succeed in 2022. That's just a farce. The fact is, he may be okay. And other quarterbacks with greater credentials who know what the hell they're talking about Are saying the same thing. I'd like to hear them over Dan Orlovsky or somebody else at ESPN. I'd rather listen to Hall of Famer Kurt Warner or Super Bowl champion Trent Dilper over Dan Orlovsky, who's a bust. Plain and simple bust for Detroit. Another guy who didn't have a team around him. That's the point. And opinions and predictions are going to be fruitless anyway. By week four, week five, we're going to have a better idea. We're going to change our opinions, change our predictions based on results from the first couple of games. All this stuff is pointless. All of it's being done to generate clicks, video views, and flat-out hatred or praise, depending on where you stand. It's just important to note that there are some within the national community who do like and do believe to an extent in Justin Fields. Maybe not the team. Maybe not the team's good enough yet, but Justin Fields. There are some who do agree, who do believe other quarterbacks with credentials, that's good to know. If you are a believer in Justin Fields to the point where you think he's going to be great, well, you have some company now, nationally. I still think it'll be better than last year. How much better remains to be seen, but I don't expect a repeat of last year with this offense. The preseason has shown it. You could say, oh, it's the preseason, but the fact is, Justin Fields is becoming more and more comfortable in game situations in this offense. And that's great. We should be praising that. We should be talking about it more. And we are. But I guess for ESPN to still stick to the same old-tired narrative after seeing some success from Fields in this offense, it makes no sense. It's stupid. Really, it's stupid. And it's ignorant, too. You've seen better things from this offense on tape in preseason games. For you to still sit there and say, this is the worst team and Justin Fields has no help and it's going to be bad for him and bad for the whole team this year. They're going to be the worst team at football. I don't understand where that comes from. I don't get what game you're watching. And it's fine to have a hot take. I've had many and I still continue to have some. I'm okay with that. But at least back it up with something. I think at times, Colcomat's been a bust. Why? Colcomat fumbles the ball, drops the ball way too many times and needs to prove himself. Does not score in the red zone either. There are reasons why I'm skeptical about Colcomat right now. But for ESPN to say they're going to be the worst team in football when I could name probably five or six that are guaranteed going to be worse, that makes no sense. So the Bears are going to be worse than the Lions, worse than Houston, Seattle, New York, the Jets and the Giants for that matter. Come on. The Giants have Daniel Jones starting. Daniel Jones. What are we talking about here? Just comes back to logic and actually being objective in your analysis and not feeding in to clicks and to hatred and to clickbait. ESPN likes to do it. But as we see from Kurt Warner and Trent Dilfer, two respected, great quarterbacks in football history, they think the opposite. I do too. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago? My interview with Phil Mackey comes up next, so stay tuned. Talk Chicago. Here for John zick we have Pat and ready for today's special guest. He's the content director at Score North and the host of Purple Daily and Mackey and John. Please welcome Phil Mackey to the program. Phil, it's great to have you on. How are you?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. I just saw as we cracked the microphones here, the Vikings traded for a random defensive tackle here. Uh, so it's that time of year where your favorite team is just plucking random dudes off waivers and making random trades. So. Uh, skull Vikings for trading for Ross Blacklock from the Texans. Have to look him up later.
0: <laughs> really appreciate you being here on this crazy day. Uh, lots of cuts being made after training camp, and I think the big one where we could start is Kellen Mont, a guy who a lot of people actually ranked better than Justin Fields a couple of years ago. Now the Vikings cut him. What's your take on that whole situation?
1: So yeah, this is. I think this is one of those. um I'd like to see his rookie season. If you could go back two years ago with a more offensive-minded head coach, Mike Zimmer was. I think there's two 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 trains of thought here. Number one, Mike Zimmer was right about Kellen Mond, he, even though Mike Zimmer deserved to lose his job and it, you know it had run its course. You know he was kind of banging the the podium desk at the end of last year uh, about some of the Vikings draft picks from 2021. And Kellen Mann was one of them, basically saying, like, these these dudes can't play. Wyatt Davis was an offensive lineman they took in the third round. So the Vikings, Mike Zimmer was validated in that some of the guys he was frustrated, uh, you know, after the draft that the Vikings wound up with, people thought, well, that's just Mike being cantankerous. And, you know, maybe he needs to do a better job. And then the new regime comes in, and they literally cut three third-round picks from the 2021 draft. So the Vikings, had they drafted Christian Derrissaw in the first round. Their next three picks 18 months ago were all in the third round. All three of those guys got cut 18 months later before their second season. So um, maybe Mike Zimmer was was right about some of the the roster construction here that was out of his hands. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, the new regime decides, yeah, this guy can't play. Kellerman, we're not even going to keep him on the 53-man roster. And I've seen rumblings that they might not even offer him a practice squad spot, so... The the chatter a year and a half ago was oh the Vikings may have found a future successor to Kirk Cousins and now it's like oh okay you well, we've seen him play in some games and you know they're just uh just wasn't a whole lot there so you know better to make better to get rid of him now than try and drag it on for another year or so and they wind up trading for Nick Mullins who's played seven you know started seventeen games as a backup so at least they have someone who's won a game or two behind Kirk Cousins and we'll see what happens.
0: Do you think he latches on anywhere? I mean, what what was the problem with him?
1: Well, I think my co-host Judd Zolgad did a great job documenting because he was at every single Vikings practice for the first, you know, three, four weeks of training camp. And, uh, and people got mad at him for just observing that Kellen Mond was indecisive in practices and... He was he was not progressing through his second, third reads at the rate that you would hope. And some of it is he's young and it's a new offense and stuff. And so you got to kind of balance a guy getting used to playing in the NFL, even in practice with, OK, that's not how slow that's supposed to look here. You, you don't get 10 years to figure it out. It's it's time to look a little bit better than that. And uh, and man, I mean, people were like people were hammering Judd for you're being too negative or you're you know you're being unfair to Kellen Mond or this or that it's like well the coaching staff clearly felt the same way you know he didn't even start in the third preseason game they they had decided by the third preseason game they made a trade and then they started Sean Mannion who's just been atrocious at every single step of his NFL <laughs> career he is not a viable NFL quarterback and they had decided that yeah he's actually going to get the start and uh and play in the first half of, of the third preseason game so you know i think you know i think we did the math when they drafted Mond that and the and hell, the Bears know this as well as any franchise, too, that it's hard to find a quarterback anywhere. But once you start getting in like the third, fourth, fifth rounds, you really only have in those middle rounds, historically, the last 25 years, maybe like a 17 to 20 percent chance of those quarterbacks becoming multi-year starters. So I think fans are just a little bit disappointed that he wasn't a little better, that that, that he's not even a backup. You just wasted the third round pick and a year and a half later, he's not even on your roster anymore. So it just kind of feels like the same old story with the Vikings trying to find whatever the the next, you know, who's the 10-year quarterback is what we've been trying to figure out here basically since Fran Tarkenton, and uh, it's not going to be Kellen Mond. We've at least answered that question.
0: What's going to be the plan moving forward? I mean, this is going to be Kirk Cousins' last year, right? So what do they do?
1: So he actually signed a contract through 2023, so they don't have to really start, and he's, you know, he's only like 34 years old, which in quarterback years is not that old. So I think there's a chance they might look at the first or second round in next year's draft because there are a lot of really good quarterback prospects for next year's draft class. But I also think they made a decision a few months back and said, all right, is Kirk Cousins, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady? No, but he is one of the 14 or 15 best quarterbacks in the world. You could do a lot worse than a Kirk Cousins. Let's see if this new offense and coaching staff, Kevin O'Connell, can breathe a little more life into Kirk's career and see what happens. And, uh, you know, if, if it's something we need to confront after 2023, then, then so be it. The pro- see, the problem with Kirk, it's again, he is one of the, he's in the top half of the league in terms of starting quarterbacks. I think some of the, the, the more diehard cousins fans would say, well, if it wasn't for this, this, and this, he's really like the eighth best quarterback and you got to give him the infrastructure. We'll find out, you know, I think there's a lot of things about his personality and leadership and his conservative style of play that just kind of prevent him from being a better quarterback. But, um, you know, I think they're I think they're probably going to just ride it out for the next 2 years with him. If if they if someone falls into their laps in the draft, but I don't think they're as concerned about what the quarterback spot looks like in 5 years as maybe I am or other Vikings fans are. They're just literally taking it year by year with Kirk at this point. What do you think about the new regime
0: and their ability to get more out of Kirk?
1: I I do give them a better chance than the Mike Zimmer led coaching staff. I mean, put it this way, Mike Zimmer didn't meet regularly with Cousins until his fourth season, until their fourth season together. It was like dragging Mike Zimmer and pulling his teeth out before he agreed to meet 45 minutes every single Thursday with the most important player on the team. And it was Kirk that kind of pushed for it. And so at least now with Kevin O'Connell, we know that these guys are in constant communication. They're texting. They are meeting on a regular basis. You know, O'Connell is getting Kirk's thoughts on, game plans starting next week of what do you like? What don't you like? If you don't like this play, that's okay. Um, And so you just, just building that relationship should in theory produce better results in some certain situations offensively. Um, And, and Kevin O'Connell talked a lot about early on when he first took the job about getting Kirk to play with a more quiet mind because Kirk, you can look at some of the analytics and stats. Once you get past like clean pocket first read stuff, which he's amazing. And you get to more improvisational second, third read late in the game. Defense has its ears pinned back. He is not as good in those situations. I don't think he's ever going to be Pat Mahomes in those situations, but can he be better than he's been so far? And like that to me, that's the biggest challenge starting with the Packers next week.
0: I didn't know that about Mike Zimmer. So he barely met with Kirk. Do you think the Vikings in general are going to be better just by virtue of
1: getting rid of Zimmer? Yeah. In, in I think we've, we've gone uh, so far down that path in Minnesota. Even the Vikings as an organization have kind of pushed that narrative too of boy, now that we got that cancer out of the room, but really Mike Mike Zimmer is one of the three best coaches in Vikings history. I mean, they're like 16 games above 500 in the eight years he was there, you know, in the four years before cousins, they were averaging over 10 wins a season. They went to the NFC championship game. And I think Mike would tell you, listen, you know, Kirk wasn't a train wreck, but I, he was trying to warn the organization and the fans don't sign a non-elite quarterback to that kind of a contract. It's going to erode everything we're trying to do. And he said that, and he was right. And they did it anyways. And so I think he always kind of resented the fact that they brought him in against his wishes and he never fully committed to the relationship, which is on him. Um, I think his time had run its course. I do think people have taken it too far saying that, oh man, this now that this incompetent cantankerous defensive guy is out of here, <laughs> It's like, well, he was right about Kellen Mann. He was right about a couple of their other third round draft picks. And, uh, you know, ultimately when Daniil Hunter was on the field, they had top five, top 10 defensive metrics across the board. So I think he would also tell you, my defense wasn't as outdated as people like to think. I just lost one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. So um, it was time for a change. I do think Kevin O'Connell fits Kirk Cousins and the offense better. I think they're going to be better. But I also think we need to be careful not trashing Mike Zimmer and blaming him for all the Vikings shortcomings.
0: How confident are you in this new regime overall, GM and head coach?
1: I like it. It feels more modern. You know, it just kind of feels it feels like, you know, for the first time that I can remember, the Vikings have, for instance, a clock and game management assistant coach. You know, like Mike Zimmer would spend hours and hours game planning largely on defense and he would call defensive plays and all this stuff. And and uh, you know, it would come down to these two minute situations where you need to make sure that you are managing the game in the right way through play calling and through timeouts and clock management. And it always felt like and I'm sure a lot of fans feel this way about their teams, that they just don't spend enough time on that important area. So the Vikings have an assistant coach for that now. You know, they're they're gonna be running, I think, more three wide receiver sets than Pretty much any team in the NFL, not named the Rams, to play to their strengths. Can they get? You know, Justin Jefferson had a huge year last year, but my God, he had like forty or fifty fewer targets than Cooper Cup did. Why get the guy the ball? You know, there was a couple games where, like, Justin Jefferson had a two-game stretch in the middle of last season. I think it was back-to-back losses to the Cowboys and the Ravens, where he combined for like nine total targets. You know, like why that guy should be getting twelve targets every single game. So stuff like that, just little details. I think this front office and this coaching staff are going to be, they're going to be much more obsessed with just making sure that the the best players on the team are getting the touches. I think the defensive scheme is going to be uh, very advantageous for Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, who the Vikings signed as a free agent. Uh, those were two of the best pass rushers in the league as recently as like two years ago, if they can be healthy. So I, I just see a lot of good things if they can be healthy and if Kevin O'Connell is as advertised. How far do you see him going? Well, generally speaking, year two under the new offensive-minded head coaches in the NFL tends to be the pop year, Uh, although it is worth noting when Sean McVay took over for Jeff Fisher in 2017 with the Rams, they went from, I think, 32nd in offense to first overnight in the first year, and they went, didn't they went like 11 or 13 games or something in that first year? They did. So, you know, it is, is, a, a jump is possible. I tend to think that the second year is going to be, and then you're going to have Darisaw, the left tackle going into his third season. You're going to have Jefferson officially in his prime. and uh, But I, I do think, so the Vikings haven't been above 500 in like 900 days. I mean, they just, they've always been around 500, but they haven't been above 500 since 2019. So I think they're going to be above 500. I think they're going to win nine or 10 games. And then it just kind of depends on, you know where where the Packers finish? Are you are you playing a road playoff game? Um, but I th- I think they're going to be better. I think they're going to be a playoff team. And then I think whatever the 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 peak of the Kirk Cousins Kevin O'Connell era is, I think happens in 2023.
0: Bill Mackey here on Sports Talk Chicago. Bill, what's your take on the Bears right now from a Minnesota perspective?
1: Well, it it is really interesting because the Vikings and the Bears were fighting over the same. You know, uh, head of football operations and the Bears wound up winning out. And I think a lot of us here kind of wonder, you know, then the Vikings wind up with Quasi Adolfo who I love the hire. I think, I think he's going to be excellent, but he took the job with, I think, an edict from ownership saying you can't strip it down. You can't, I know for a fact the Vikings entertained discussions about trading Kirk Cousins this last offseason. And it sounds like ownership didn't necessarily say a hundred percent. No, but they were not interested in starting over with a blank canvas at quarterback. And so I think whoever took the job and it wound up being Quacey, they had to come in, not looking to tear the whole thing down, but to try and build off of what was already there. And, um, I don't know that that's what have happened if they would have hired somebody else. So I'm very curious now that the bears have kind of done that the bears have now the bears already have potentially quarterback of the future in Justin Fields, but, you know what is the grace period for being bad? Is there is there going to be, you know, are, are people signing up at the at the outset saying, you know, it's all right, yeah, we'll just take a step back this year and then see what happens, or you know, by the if if the Bears wind up sitting there three and ten, you know, two thirds of the way through the season, are people going to be all up in arms? So I, I'm curious to see the level of patience. Um, it all depends, to me, on Justin Fields. You know, to what extent is he a guy that elevates people around him? Can he make some wide receivers? Can he overcome some potentially bad offensive line play from time to time? Um, If the defense isn't holding teams under 20, 24 points, can he get out there and score points? I don't know that any of those things are realistic in uh, year two, which is really kind of year one with a new regime. But then again, it doesn't matter how bad the Bears are. The Vikings always struggle to beat them at Soldier Field. So I fully expect these two (laughs) teams to split their season series no matter what. (laughs) How have
0: you evaluated Justin Fields so far based on what you've seen?
1: It's so hard. Um, I think uh, I think he set himself up a little bit when he when he made that comment at the beginning of his rookie season. Like I'm kind of surprised at how slow everything is. It's like <laughs> ah, dude, that's gonna change. <laughs> I mean, Trevor Lawrence looked like he was completely in over his head, and he's regarded as a generational quarterback prox- prospect. Um, I mean, give me a guy with a huge arm, with a huge body, athleticism, mobility. You know, reminds me a little bit of Dante Culpepper, you know, 20 years ago with the Vikings and uh, then Dante suffered the devastating knee injury. But I think if if Fields can tap into all of those tools, actually get things to slow down so that he can pick apart defenses. I mean, there are uh, there are worse blueprints to start with than what Justin Fields has physically. And I think I what I don't know, because I'm not following the Bears on a regular basis, is how is he leading? How is he processing? So many things are, we talk about arm strength and athleticism and mobility and all these things. It's like, yeah, but if you can't process it in two seconds, or if you can't lead your teammates or play with a quiet mind, as Kevin O'Connell would say, then some of the physical attributes don't really matter. So that's what I would be the most curious about with with fields.
0: What do you think about the roster around him? A lot of people have said that this could be a downfall for him in year two. Do you think that could be an issue?
1: Yeah, I feel like I don't know the Bears roster anymore. I feel like there's there's been turnover, <laughs> and I think I would be I would be really worried about just the lack of skill position players at this point. Um, the good news for the Bears is as they enter subsequent drafts, finding top level wide receiver talent, and the and the Bears have always seemed to. It seems to me like they've always found running backs in various rounds, and so like there's always going to be there's always going to be players to find, and I think it it just depends on can you keep a coach for longer than three years? And is, is Justin Fields the guy, at least is he one of the 15 best quarterbacks in the league where you can say, all right, we're going to stick with this guy for, for five or six years. Um, but I think what, where I would be a little bit nervous is looking around that division right now, Justin Jefferson, the, you know, the, the skill position players, the Vikings have KJ Osborne. Um, the Packers took a step back in that regard, but they did just, they drafted the kid out of North Dakota state that Christian Watson, uh, Alan Lazard should step up. So, I think it's, it's it, what is the, what does this thing look like out on the horizon for the Bears starting in like 2023 and who is going to be taking over that division? You know, Aaron Rodgers is going to be coming down. Kirk Cousins, like we talked about, is in his mid-30s. The Lions, until proven otherwise, are the Lions and they don't have a quarterback of the future yet. So this might look bad for the Bears this year, but I feel like it might be shaping up for them if they nail some of these draft picks and if they did nail Justin Fields and the new coaching staff. Maybe it turns around quickly for them starting in 2023. I mean, is there any optimism or hope for them to to flirt with a wild card spot this year? Or is that even, that's not even an expectation, I would guess. That's not an expectation.
0: A lot of people are saying seven to eight wins and then next year with $120 million plus in cap space, that's going to be the time to spend money.
1: Yep. Yep. And that's, you know, and I feel like, you know, Chicago, in the past, it feels like they have been able to at times make little splashes here and there in free agency and trade. And so, if you can, if you've got the quarterback, and you know, Chicago depends on sometimes if free agents would rather not play outdoors in that weather in December, but you know, cap space things. Yeah, the things are kind of shaping up organizationally, and it's a nice blank canvas. What to come with Bill Mackey in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is
0: Sports Talk Chicago. Phil Mackey's still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Phil, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, poker. What's your connection to poker?
1: To poker? Yes. So, um, I don't know if you can see <laughs> this here, but in 2009, I co-founded uh, a couple things with a business partner. So I used to I used to play online poker all the time during the like the early 2000s, like 2002 through probably 2009, and um, so I played a lot of online poker. I played for I mean I played for a partial living. At least I I paid rent money for a few years playing poker and, uh, and I co-founded the Minnesota state poker tour and Minnesota poker magazine. And so the Minnesota state poker tour has now evolved into the mid States poker tour. I haven't been involved in years, but um, it's become a really large, successful poker tour. And so I kind of have my hand in the, on the, the playing side. I was always, always would stay up and watch the world series of poker. I would do the pay-per-view version of the world series of poker without whole cards. And I would just sit up till five in the morning, watching those guys. And then, um, and then I got into the business side of it too. So yeah, you poker guy.
0: Not really. No, but I was just curious. Cause I saw you have a pretty big connection to it when I ended up looking around online, how good of a player are
1: you? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to be showing up. I haven't played in, probably nine years and i'm not going to be showing up you know at the world series of poker final table next year by any i'd love to play again at some point but uh you know, i was i was good enough to, to take some other people's money online for a while and pay some rent so you don't have to be the best you just have to you know maybe be like not one of the two or three worst at your table what's the best round you've had before uh so i used to so i played largely tournament poker okay in two different forms I play and so I would say like 80% of what I played was called single table sit and goes, which are you would you would sit down at a table online, and I would play like three or four tables at once, you'd buy in for 30, 50, or $100 were kind of the levels that I would buy in. And so you'd have nine or 10 people would buy in for call it 50 bucks. And then the top three at each table would, would get paid. So I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily playing like, you know, a 10 hour cash game or these big tournaments where you win a hundred thousand dollars or what I've played in some of those too. Uh, the biggest score I think I ever had in a live tournament was like two or $3,000. Wow. Um, otherwise it was, it was largely just grinding these single table tournaments so that in a given <laughs> day, I might win like, you know, $2,000 or something playing these like little thirty dollars $50 sit and goes. But then you also go on a run where you lose money for a month, because <laughs> that's how poker works. <laughs> you have to really get used to kind of lo- losing your ass for a few weeks at a time and be and be comfortable with that. And I had a lot of a lot of friends who would play and couldn't handle the swings. You know, they would get pissed at every bad beat, every bad turn of a card. It's Like you know, that's going to happen forever. As, as long as you play, like you're going to get burned by the deck. You have to just kind of live with it.
0: <laughs> What's the worst swing you have had? Like a time in which you've lost so much money at once or over a period of time?
1: So I had a. Uh, nothing that would like jeopardize my you know ability to pay rent cuz i you, you want to always kind of play within your means sure I think really? a lot of a lot of poker players go wrong when they go on a bad streak and then they say i'm going to try and make it back so that i'm going to go up a level or two but i do remember one time i think i was 19 years old and uh there were some sites where you could get online back in the day and play when you're 18 and so one of the sites i used to play on was called royal vegas which was uh it was mostly like a well, all of these were offshore sites, but Royal Vegas had these, they were like multi-table mini tournaments. And I think they were called like step tournaments. This is 15 years ago. And I remember one time, and again, I was nineteen, I was interning at K Fan Radio. I had, I don't know, a thousand dollars to my name, just working part-time jobs and stuff, right? No four oh one K, nothing. I just had And then I would go and like put a third of that on a cash game or something like at Canterbury Park or whatever, like an idiot. And I never got too burned, But I was playing in one of these step tournaments where you buy in at the the outset for like 20 bucks or something. And at the end of multiple rounds over several hours, you can get to the final table and it was me and one other guy and the top prize. I think the top prize was like $4,000 and then uh, second place was like $1,200, which is still pretty good. But and both were like at least double what I had in my checking account at the time. And I remember having an eleven thousand to one thousand chip lead on this guy. Something that it was like a 10 to one chip lead ratio. And uh he just kept winning every hand. He won like X amount of hands in a row. But I, in my head I was like, oh man, I'm about to win three or four thousand. Now a nineteen year old about to win three, 000, four thousand dollars. And uh And I remember losing, like he beat me X amount of hands in a row. And so the chip lead switched over and I lost. I still like still won $1,200, but I was driving to my internship just (laughs) it's like, oh man, I think I just missed my chance to, you know, to have thousands more dollars in my bank account. It's it's, it's a very depressing life sometimes when you, when you think about it, just gambling for a living. I'm glad I don't anymore. (laughs) Like I had friends who were literally like they had six figures in their poker stars account and they were playing like way higher stakes. And I was, I was super jealous of those guys, but you know, they also had their own personal demons they were probably going through. So
0: <laughs> before we finish up today, last question, what's the funniest call you've had on the Vikings vent line?
1: Well, last year, no, this might've been two seasons ago. Now I think this is the 2020 season. Chansey and Fargo is one of our favorite callers. You know, it's and it's it's and for a long time, it was a, a call-in radio show. And the last two seasons, it's been exclusive to the Purple Daily YouTube channel. So we bring people into the video for two hours after the game. And uh, Chansey and Fargo got so mad after a loss in 2020 that he actually lit a dumpster fire live on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. He was standing <laughs> in a giant dumpster with a bunch of like, you know, odds and ends and cardboard and stuff. And he lit a dumpster fire and stood in front of it and delivered his absolute torching of the Minnesota Vikings. So I think like lighting a dumpster fire in the middle of a dumpster fire season, probably (laughs) ranks number one. (laughs)
0: Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure. Great to have some insights on the Vikings and best wishes over at score North too. You guys do a great job every day on YouTube.
1: Thanks, John. Appreciate it. And uh, you're killing it as well. So uh, keep up the good work, and we'll talk again soon, man.
0: I talk there with Phil Mackey, and that'll do it for us today. You're on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Phil Mackey himself, Matt Dubiel, WCKG, Jim DeTalbin, to Marble Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Z Gluo. If you want to watch more of this show, head on over to sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes with a Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe, and so long, everyone. No!
1: No! Where are the turtles?